You grew up knowing you could do anything. As a soldier in the U.S. Army, you'll test your limits and feel the pride of doing things you never thought possible. With guaranteed training in one of more than 150 career fields, up to $40,000 cash enlistment bonus, you'll earn a steady paycheck, get money for college, and gain valuable experience while you learn how to be a valued team leader. To find out more, call your local Army recruiter or visit us at GoArmy.com. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. You're listening to From the Cheap Seats with Chris DeLambert and Brandon Atkins. You may not like your seats, but you'll love the show. Alright, welcome to From the Cheap Seats. I'm Chris DeLambert, the inimitable Robert Bricky, and nobody else. We are a duo today. Yes, sir. So, I was looking... Mining for data. <laughs> Is it, it was like Bitcoin. You're mining for Bitcoin. That's now? it. Shows canceled. <laughs> There's nothing going on in the sports world that that is worth my energy right yeah, now. Yeah, it's uh, it's a dead period in, in basketball recruit or recruiting. There's a period where you can't go out and talk to kids. We are in the official sports dead period. Yeah, I think we're about two weeks from football really mattering. Right. Um, basketball, I think the thrill is finally gone. And I think the, the last thing left to happen now that Capella signed with the Rockets to come back. Right. Uh, Mello gets cut. And that's really about the end of it. So right. the NBA did a good job stretching. They, went, they took it as far as they could take it yeah. without being overkill. Well, now they've got to, they, now they've got to figure out something else. To sort of plug in there right. and 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 stay viable for another couple months, and then they'll they'll truly be a twelve month sport, and maybe that would be the USA basketball camp, right? Uh, except that nobody showed up for the voluntary camp, except John Wall. Did you see the picture of him? I did not. Oh my god! Is I he, will. T- <laughs> is he trying to uh, enhance his image now by being the only guy to show up to camp? Um, as I talk, I'm going to try to uh, pull this photo up of him because I'm a little sad that you haven't seen it. The He looks like he's on the bad side of half a dozen four locos <laughs> and maybe a blunt. I, it's a bad picture. Wow. And everybody had fun with it. It's bad. It's bad, and this is a guy that is, you know, one of the better athletes out there. Um, for him to have looked as ragged as he did in that photo is, right. I, it's just kind of so kind of wild. In an effort, in there an you go. effort. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> he looked like he was in the Hangover. Yeah, and the internet had no mercy, right? And and got after him. Um, Usually, you know, he's a, he's usually pretty well put together, yeah, well yeah. groomed, and I don't takes care of his body. He looks like he's out of shape and had a bad week. Well, that's what Dwight Howard will do to you. <laughs> they haven't even taken the floor together yet. I don't even know if Dwight Howard has visited D.C., but that's what's going on. Um, speaking of Dwight Howard, I have a question for you, and and Brandon and I have talked about this a little bit. And we are of one mind on this. But is Dwight Howard a Hall of Famer? No. Talk to me. Tell me why not. 
He, well, there are two things, three things I think they base Hall of Fame on. Statistics, he's not there. Wins, he's not there. And sometimes overall reputation. Is he a likable guy? And sometimes that gets you in, and he's not a likable guy. So he's he's over three. I don't think there's any dispute that Rob uh, Robert Bricky. <laughs> I'm very likable. Yes, I, I, I would have to agree. Um, if your stats were there, right, you'd you'd be a Hall of Famer. There's no doubt. But Dwight Howard, I think we have forgotten how good this guy was for the first half dozen years right. he was in the league. Um, this is a guy that for his career is averaging 17.5 and, and about 13 rebounds. Five straight All-NBA selections, eight-time All-Star, and way back in the day, it seems a million years ago, he carried Orlando on his back into the finals. And I'm convinced at this point that as he – plays out his career over the next four or five years, and then we have a few years to forget how cancerous he was to locker rooms and how abrasive he was, I think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Really? Yeah. And and part of that is because of the era that he came up in, there were, were no big men in the NBA for quite a while. Right. And other than Chris Bosh in his generation – I don't think there was anybody that was even close to Dwight Howard for a number of years. He was a unique specimen and a physically dominant guy. I guess one thing I didn't like, I I think he thought he was better than he was. He was not overly skilled. But at the end of the day, he was productive. So, you know, I guess maybe I need to go back up to his numbers, but he's a guy – who was uh, polarizing in terms of am I going to like him or am I not? Is he tearing up locker rooms? Is he dividing teams? So, I mean, I I guess I don't think all that's necessary. Let you play, do your talking, and then people will respect you for that. Well, the other part of this, too, is that we've forgotten that, you know, Golden State got this right with their quote-unquote super team. Right. And they brought Kevin Durant in there, matched him up with Steph Curry and the rest of that cast, and it worked. It worked on the floor in terms of production. It worked in terms of chemistry. Those guys have gotten along well. Step back and consider that before there was Golden State, there was Houston. And that Houston team, when Harden and Dwight Howard and Chandler Parsons were – lumped together, mm-hmm. that was sort of their push out in the West to be a super team. And I think there were a lot of people that anointed the Rockets, and then it just never came right. to pass. As we look at this, it's one thing for you know a kid or a grown man to sit on 2K and put together the best players and cobble it together and make right. fake trades and the rest of that. But in the NBA, there's a whole lot more to that. You're talking about real people with real egos that have to coexist. Right. Howard was not a guy that could do that. In Charlotte, he showed up last year as damaged goods, came out and on an individual level, I mean, put up 16 and 12, which is top tier when you're talking about big man production, and Charlotte couldn't get rid of him fast enough. Right. And – 
you know, he's out there now as he gets introduced to the DC media and he's saying things like, you know, I was a good guy, you know, ask anybody, you know, I never did anything but do what they told me to do. We didn't need to ask. Right. Charlotte, the players and the and the folks around the team have already thrown him under the bus. You know, he wouldn't screen, he wouldn't run the sets. Um, you know, was a bad 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 guy in the locker room. You know, other players rolling their eyes when they when they when they're asked about him. And to give up 16 and 12 as quickly as they did and Charlotte is not a juggernaut right. by any stretch of the imagination. I think that tells the tale. The question I have with the Wizards is if John Wall is a big enough personality and a strong enough leader to kind of put Dwight Howard in check and get him to play in the context of that team. Because you're talking about a team now that has as good a backcourt as there is in the NBA. They've got nice wing players. Right. And now you put a big man in that mix – this should be a formula that translates to a very deep run into the playoffs for the next couple of years. I'm interested to see how it shakes out. It will implode. <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. Here's why. Well, because John Wall's already drinking. I mean, that's part of it, I think. <laughs> Got to get him on local radio. Oh, God. So, you ever know that guy that is everybody else's fault, but it's never him? Yes. Dwight Howard is that guy. Two... John Wall is not that guy who could get him in line and get him to do what he needs to do to have a final successful end to his career. Three, if when Dwight Howard decides to run the court and play hard, he's very good. Even at this age and he's lose, lost some athleticism, he's very good. He doesn't do it consistently, and he hasn't done it consistently. So this – with he and and Wall and Bill, it will impl- I'm sure there'll be a fight in the locker room. They're gonna call Agent Zero. He's gonna come in with some guns. <laughs> and uh I'm telling you, it's gonna be out of control, but it'll be entertaining. Maybe that's part of the solution though. Maybe you just hit on it. I'm sure that at this point there's no lingering suspension for Gilbert Arenas. Maybe they should bring, bring him, him back. back. Yeah. As an you, enforcer. As an enforcer. <laughs> they could they could pay him as an assistant coach yep. and he could be a player assistant slash enforcer and he could keep everybody in That's check. Right. Because when Gilbert Arenas speaks, I think people probably pay attention because he's bananas yeah, crazy. He's, that's the guy. You know, there's fake tough guys, and there's tough guys, and then there's loco guys. He's the loco guy. And and you've told me before that the problem with crazy people, you can't measure crazy. And you can't. They're volatile. Yeah. You don't you don't know when they're going off, man. So it could be something small, and he just erupts. So uh, you, you might be right. You could sign him for the vet minimum. Gilbert Arenas, if you're out there and you need agency, I got the guy yeah, for you right here. He can broker something. You know, I'm sure you could use a little change in your pocket at this point. You're still paying off NBA fines from back in the day. <laughs> I think that's a perfect fit in, in Washington, and uh, it could be a lot of fun. You hit on something, though, that has been and probably will continue to be the problem with Dwight Howard. Here's the thing. There is a difference between children and adults. Now, my mother told me once that she read in a book – that the difference between adults and children is that children will not reach down into the sink 
when you get the little sludge down there right. and just pull it out and throw it away. They'll do anything. And I watch my kids with it when they're doing dishes and they're right. spraying and trying to force that stuff down there because they're not going to touch it. Right. The other thing is that as an adult, and I'm sure you can attest, I've never said no to a nap. <laughs> I can't get enough naps. Dude, if, if you told me you got this for the next half hour, brother, I'm on that couch. I'm out for a little right. bit. And I only need a couple minutes. Right. I'm good. You know, I don't want to sleep the day away, but a nap. What child has ever said, yeah, oh, no. a nap sounds like a good time. But the third thing that separates children from adults is the willingness to be accountable. Right. And say, it's me. And we've never seen that from Dwight Howard in any context ever. Right. And I don't think that he's suddenly going to change as we move forward. And his the defensive posture he's taken, and maybe it's not even defensive, it's maybe offensive. He's this is preemptive. Charlotte, nobody's actively going out there bashing Dwight Howard right, right. now. They made what you, you look at and you're like, all right, well, they're trying to free up cap space. They don't want to pay the luxury tax because that's what it came down to. But getting rid of him seemed like a really easy move to make. And we're, we're forgetting that when he signed with the Lakers and that didn't work, it was Mitch Kupchak signed him out there. Right. Um, so there was a relationship there. But it's interesting that, that his reaction to this trade and then subsequently signing – after he was released by Brooklyn, has been so visceral. And he's he's absolutely unwilling to say, hey, maybe I'm part of the problem. Right. And until he recognizes that, I don't know if there's, there's a way forward. And along those same lines, there's another guy out there who has just taken this refusal to take personal responsibility to another level, and that's Carmelo Anthony. Right. And this is a guy who has gone from superstar – Probably not warranted, but for whatever reason has been a superstar in the public's eyes and in the other players' eyes. This guy went to the point where Atlanta gave up real value to get this guy and not have him play basketball for them. And he doesn't see a problem. That's a sign. Krista Lambert, Brandon Atkins, two American Patriots trying to make sports talk radio great again. The V Foundation and board member Robin Roberts are dedicated to declaring victory over cancer by funding cutting-edge research. Jim Valvano's greatest legacy is the V Foundation. You can help join the fight, give the gift of time. We need passion, we need teamwork and momentum. The time to act is now. There's not a moment to lose. Every dollar counts. Every day counts. To find out how you can join us to defeat cancer, please visit JimmyV.org. Welcome back to From the Cheap Seats. Welcome back to From the Cheap Seats. Krista Lambert and Robert Bricky here talking trash about Carmelo Anthony. Um, it, does Melo bring... Anything of value to the Rockets? If they can b- get him to buy into the role he played on the Olympic teams, like he looked like a completely different player, energetic, rebounding, uh, in place on his defensive assignment, never say he was a great defender, but he really contributed to all the Olympic teams he was, he was on. And, I, and again, 
That's a collection of talent. It's a little bit different. But there's a collection of talent in Houston. True. And if he decides to buy in and realize he's not the guy anymore, Harden is the guy, Chris Paul is the guy, and he's the third wheel. What's wrong with being a third wheel if you win a title? So put your ego aside. You're not the player that you used to be. Quit hanging on to Syracuse title. And <laughs> I, when I was in Denver, we got to the play. Now, put all that aside. Focus on now and realize you've got three years maybe where you can still be a contributing player and be that guy that has bought in and helped your team win. It's it's interesting to me because at this point, given his lack of, of production, and he was one of the most inefficient offensive players in basketball last year, there doesn't seem to be any sense of gratitude or any positive vibe at all that, hey, this team wants me, and I'm going to come in here and do what they asked me to do. Right. You know, up through last season, you know, when he was queried and, well, you willing to come off the bench, and he just scoffs at it. At some point, you got to think that this guy, that there's some self-realization. He's like, I'm not the guy that I used to be. The other thing, too, you said something about the, the Olympics. I think there's two things that might be at play. One, you're talking about being surrounded by all these other guys. Right. So you've got to step your game up. Maybe being with Harden and Paul, he's like, hey, I've, I've got to live up to this. But he didn't do it with Russell Westbrook and Paul George. And it's arguable as to which of those is the best duo anyway. Yeah. The second piece, though, as you talk about the Olympics, is I think the Olympics for a guy like Carmelo might be different because it's a very short period of time that you're trying to focus and, and play for. Carmelo, at this point in his career, that's a big dude. He's just out of shape. Right. He's appeared to have been out of shape for years, and nobody really ever puts him on blast about it. Yep. But hauling all that luggage up and down the floor, 82 games a season, I just don't know if he's got the ability to do that without really working to get in shape, and that's not something he's shown the propensity to, to do. Right. Now, I will say this. I agree with you. If Carmelo comes in and he's focused and he's energized – and he wants to be a bit player on that team, I do think that not only can he help that team more than Ariza did at the same position, he could be an upgrade. Right. And I say that knowing that Carmelo's never going to give them the type of defense that Ariza did. Right. Ariza, one of the best defenders one-on-one in basketball. However, let's be honest, for 82 games a year, Defense in the NBA is not at a premium. Right. It's all about how you space the floor and how well you can score the ball. Carmelo, if he gets into a groove, he is undoubtedly going to get more open looks than he knows what to do with. Right. And if he converts those, he will be a better offensive weapon than Ariza was. So from a regular season standpoint, Carmelo may, he could improve the Houston Rockets. And you're talking about the team with the best regular season record in basketball last year. My problem with the, with Carmelo is when it comes playoff time. Because we've already seen you can't just go in and outscore people right. when it comes to crunch time in the playoffs. You've got, got to be able stops. to lock up. Yeah. And I, when I look at Golden State, I don't know which of the first 
eight players on that Golden State team that Carmelo can check. That, to me, is of bigger concern. Right. Well, I've got another problem with Carmelo. All right. He threw his coach and team under the bus about relative to the fact he had a bad season. No, dude. You had opportunity. You didn't convert. That's on you. And uh, Billy Donovan is a really good coach. He puts you in a position to get guys their shots and to be successful. So that's one problem. Now, he's going to have to adjust in Houston because you watch – historically, if you watch Carmelo, they're throwing the ball, everybody stands still, he does his thing, blah, blah, blah. He's not going to have the ball in Houston. Harden and Paul. And so you're going to be a catch-and-shoot guy. So your role is going to automatically change. And you got to run because of that system uh, they have in place. It's transition. It's a lot of ball screen and wide open. And so I think fundamentally he's going to have to change if he doesn't want to because that style of play is not conducive to him catching the ball and watch and four guys watching him try to score. Well, I will say this, that Houston loves to run iso ball. And, yes, they'll get out on the break and do it when they can, but they like to get that iso executed as quickly as possible. Yeah. So it's coming up the floor. They cross half court. Boom, it goes down to somebody. And there's not a whole lot of motion and movement from, that, from right. that point forward if they're not on the break. I do think that at this point – Chris Paul, James Harden, Eric Gordon, Carmelo Anthony, that's four really good ISO players. It's just a matter of whether or not I, – I, I think Carmelo in this offense may be sort of like Terrell Owens was in the NFL. If you get him involved early and you get him touches and he's engaged, right. he'll get hot and he can, you know, yep. he can gas you. You get down, and at the end of the first quarter, if he's sitting on two or three good looks at that point, now you may have a problem because he may just mail it in from that point. It's going to be interesting to see how this all unfolds. Um, I I just – it's amazing to me that at this point he is unwilling to step back and say, you know what, I'm in the twilight of my career. Mm -hmm. Um, But – having come from where he's at and, and you know, been at the highest heights, maybe maybe it's just difficult. And the other piece of it is maybe he does know, and he's just not willing to, right. to vocalize that. Time is undefeated. Absolutely and is. Well, unless you're Tom Brady, because well, that dude evidently. is going to play till he's seven. He's an alien. But uh, Carmelo, here's a problem with the Houston offense and Carmelo initially having the ball. He's not a playmaker. If he gets the ball, he's trying to score, which is okay. But in Houston, if Paul or Harden have the ball in that quick hit, ball screen action, they can make they can pass and make other guys better. Carmelo cannot. I think that's a fair statement. I, as I think over the course of Carmelo's career, I can't think of anybody he ever made better. Exactly. Um, and even at Syracuse, I mean, he was a one-man gang that put that team on his back and – you know, one of the great performances we've ever seen, particularly from a freshman, yeah, um, just kind of came out of nowhere with an okay Syracuse team that got hot and won a national championship. Um, does kind of take me back to that draft 
and I wonder what Darko Milicic is doing this morning. Can we get him on the phone, Tim? I think he's working at Dairy Queen. <laughs> I saw him this morning. <laughs> Darko. Darko, which leads me into the Luka Doncic debate. Right. And there are whispers coming from people. I saw a quote from Dwight Powell the other day that, uh, you know, this kid is bigger and better than anybody thought. You know, he's he's really special. I want to see this kid play basketball. And and there's a lot of polls going around now. You know, who's your rookie of the year pick? Who could it be? And most of the folks, it, it's it's really polarized because you'll see people who – ignore Donkic completely in that conversation. Mm -hmm. And then there's people that will tell you it's Donkic and it's not even close. He'll be your rookie of the year. Here's what I will say to people who wonder about Donkic. That's a bad Dallas Mavericks team that you're about to see out there. Right. Um, If Donkic is good, Dallas will be all right. Um, You're talking about a team that's going to feature Dennis Smith Jr., Harrison Barnes, DeAndre Jordan. That's not a bad bad. trio of players. After that, though, that team is pretty much garbage. Yeah. So Donkic has got every opportunity in the world to come in and start day one. And at the two, which he's probably going to play, I know there were people, oh, well, he'll play the point, he'll play the point. Listen, he ain't going to play the point. He's not going to play the point in Dallas. He's really good. He is really good. He is really good. He's not going to beat out Dennis Smith. No, that's not going to happen. So Doncic is going to come in at the two, which is one of the two premium positions in the NBA right now, I I feel. Uh, He's going to get plenty of touches, plenty of looks, plenty of opportunity to put up a lot of points. He's either going to or he's not. I tend to think that he's not. Take a swim. Um, I don't think that he's athletic enough. I think that the the myth out there that this kid is 6'8", is just that. Right. Uh, but we're about to find out here over the next couple months, and I'm excited to see how it shakes out. Dallas is a team I'll, I'll, I'll definitely have my eyes on, um, Donkic in particular. When you talk about potential Rookie of the Year candidates, though, we've got maybe what would be a surprise on the other side. You're listening from the Cheap Seats. Check us out on social media at Cheap Seat Radio. You're listening to Krista Lambert and Brandon Adkins on From the Cheap Seats, a production of Cheap Seats Radio. Imagine if I told you that an earthquake was going to hit tomorrow right where you live. That it would be 6.5 in magnitude with aftershocks occurring twice 25 minutes apart you'd no doubt talk with your loved ones and you'd make a plan today. It's true, I can't tell you an earthquake will happen tomorrow, but what if it does? Shouldn't you have a plan? Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait, communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. When it comes to saving money, don't act like a baby. Goo goo gaga. Be the boss and make a budget. I'm the boss, baby. You're the boss of me. I am the boss of you. Or not. M2. Or not. M2. Need a little help? Aren't you going to do any work? I'm very busy delegating. Create a personalized savings plan. We can share. You obviously didn't go to business school. And get other tools and tips at feedthepig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. 
When it comes to saving money, don't act like a baby. Goo goo gaga. Be the boss and make a budget. I'm the boss, baby. You're the boss of me. I am the boss of you. Are not. M2. Are not. M2. Need a little help? Aren't you going to do any work? I'm very busy delegating. Create a personalized savings plan. We can share. You obviously didn't go to business school. And get other tools and tips at feedthepig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Hello, I'm Rob Beckley, lead singer of the band Pillar. I served in the Army Reserve for eight years, and it taught me lessons in teamwork, leadership, and organizational skills that I still use today. Serving part-time in the Army Reserve also offers skill training, money for college, and bonuses up to $20,000. So if you're up to the challenge, talk to your local Army Reserve recruiter today or check us out online at GoArmyReserve.com. You too can be Army strong in the Army Reserve. And now, from Sanford, North Carolina, Chris Lambert and Brendan Atkins. I got money, I got fame, fast cars and everything. Yeah. I'm on dance, I gotta sing, rock song, blues Appreciate Sammy Hagar bringing us in there, him and Chickenfoot. It's good stuff. Um, talking basketball, of all things, and we'll get around to a little football and, and maybe talk about the uh, Major League Baseball Hall of Fame induction this past week. But before we do, I need to talk trivia real quick, and then I'll get back and tell you who may be an outsider that nobody's thinking about for the uh, NBA Rookie of the Year this coming season. Um, this week's category is celebrity cocaine incidents. Uh-oh. I'm excited about that. Pretty fired up. And I need to tease a category for the following week. Bricky, I want you to think on that as we move forward. And I know I know, it's a, asking a lot of a man of your age to do two things mentally at once. I know I can't. I'm incapable at this point. But uh, we'll think about that. I want to put two names out there as potential Rookie of the Year candidates that people aren't thinking about. First of all, if you look at Charlotte, I didn't love the Miles Bridges pick when they made it. And at this point, it's funny because Charlotte sort of – they've got a lot of okay wing players out there. But Bridges, I think, may be a guy that they actually make a commitment toward. And I wouldn't be surprised if Bridges is the day one starter at the three for Charlotte. And all of these rookies across the spectrum – there is a very finite number of those that are going to start early. Bridges may start 82 times for Charlotte. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. And if you look at Charlotte offensively, you have Kimball Walker as option one, two, and three. And after that, offensively, there's not a whole lot of, of established weapons. They are saying in Charlotte, James Borrego, the new new head coach, has made a commitment to use Malik Monk and feature him in the offense. Mm-hmm. If Malik Monk plays at the two, at six foot three, and has success, he will be the smallest good shooting guard in the NBA. Maybe I can't think of anybody at his size and stature with his limited skill set that is lighting up the NBA. Right. Am I wrong? You are correct. Um, you're talking about a, a this is a one trick pony. Malik Monk's 
shoots the ball well. He is a very streaky shooter. The idea that he's going to be a solid one or two option in the NBA, I, I think I'm I'm skeptical at best. Bridges, if he does nothing else, is going to get out. He's going to run the floor. The reason that he's going to get some run in terms of rookie of the year is that he is a very athletic guy. He can jump out of the gym and he can throw down some unbelievable dunks. That is why I think he will get into the public's consciousness early on. Right. And if you look at Donovan Mitchell last year, Mitchell put up great numbers. Mitchell was, you know, a, a pivotal part of that Utah offense. But had he not been throwing down those dunks and being highlighted on ESPN, you probably would never known about right. it. Because after all, he plays in Salt Lake City, and nobody in the country gets to see those guys. Since Carl Malone and John Stockton left, who knows who's played in Utah? No. That's my point exactly. The the NBA coverage of the NBA as it, as it applies to television is what it is, and it's not going to change anytime soon. You're going to get a healthy dose of L.A., Boston, Philly, and a handful of other teams. Anytime Golden State's got a premium matchup, they're going to be on right. there. And that's regardless of market size. They just happen to be one of the teams that people have jumped on. Cleveland. You know, we've seen a lot of Cleveland over the last five years. Um Sorry, Cleveland fans, you're not going to see him on TV. You don't want to see Kevin Love um, featured? You know, I've said this before, and I I believe this. Cleveland's going to be okay. Yeah, they'll be okay. I think Cleveland, uh, and this is assuming that Rodney Hood is back in the fold, I think Cleveland's a playoff team. And I know people think that might be crazy, but Cleveland didn't fall in. Dan Gilbert has got more money than anybody. They decided they're not going to just blow this thing up. They're going to make a run with the guys they have and try and plug in some pieces. Here's the situation as it applies to Cleveland. Colin Sexton has the potential to be a very nice point guard in the NBA. He's what you're looking for. He is the opposite of Trey Young. This is a guy that will blow past you, can create his own shot, um, and distributes the ball. He will make people around him better. And he can finish. Yes, he can. I think Colin Sexton's got a very bright future. He is a little undersized, but that hasn't mattered with guys that are supremely athletic over the last 10 years at the point guard position. The guys that have not blown it up, unless your name is Steph Curry, are guys that are not unbelievably quick, can jump out of the gym or run by you. I think Colin Sexton is going to be okay. When I look at the pieces that Cleveland added at the break last year, Jordan Clarkson, Nance Jr., those guys are good ball players. Yep. Kevin Love, $30 million a year is probably too much for Kevin Love. But the alternative with him at this point was to watch him walk in free agency at the end of next year or trade him for next to nothing now. Right. So Cleveland probably overpaid. But in terms of bad contracts that are out there, you're talking about a guy that will probably put up about 20 and 13 this year, maybe 25 and 13. There aren't a heck of a lot of players out there in the NBA. Anybody that plays fantasy basketball, and I'm not a huge fantasy basketball guy, knows Kevin Love's value because the numbers are there. Now, is he the guy that you want? Is he the matchup in crunch time that will get you a bucket? Absolutely not. But that dude is a willing rebounder who is a big body, who can shoot the three, come on, man. 
it, when you start talking in terms of legitimate fours in the NBA, it's a f- pretty short list yep. of players that are better than Kevin Love. So rather than sell low on Kevin Love or watch him walk for nothing and then foolishly believe that you're going to attract a couple of top-shelf free right. agents to Cleveland, they locked they him up, and, and Kevin Love now at this point probably finishes his career as, as a, a Cavalier. The other piece with the Cavs, though, is all those bad deals that LeBron talked him into, they all expire this year. Right. Tristan Thompson, J.R. Smith, Cal Corver, all those bad contracts are gone. George Hill, they got one more bad year with that contract. And Hill, not a bad player, but he's no. not a $12 million a year guy. I, they made the right decision with Love. Like you say, they would have gotten less if they had traded him. They probably overpaid him a tad, but for the pro, uh, production level, he's probably just on par – and you're right. It's a short list for a guy who can give you 20 and 13. And they're playing in the East. Yep. So, and they've got some decent pieces. So, I agree. I think they're definitely a playoff team. And if they can somehow attract some free agents in the offseason next year, they've got a chance. Well, and here's the thing, Brick, is is when you look at that team, assuming that we're, they're as good as you and I think they are, you don't need to attract a whole bunch of free agents out there. You need one. Right. Uh, if they can get a top-shelf guy. And the guy, America, that I would keep my eyes on were I you is Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson and Kevin Love have been friends since they were kids. They came up playing AAU ball together. They grew up together. They have talked openly. And there's not been a lot of national run in the press about this that they would love to play together at some point. Well, Kevin Love's locked up. Right. Kevin Love, by virtue of that contract, becomes the center of gravity in Cleveland. And you can't tell me he comes available. Dan Gil- Gilbert is not going to throw the bank at him to try to get him. He needs a name. He needs a player. And then you can combine him with Love. And you don't even have to have stars after that. But just a few other good pieces. And then you're a, you're a top four team in the East. I Agreed. I mean, you take Clay Thompson, you add him to that mix – now, all of a sudden, you've got a team that's you know a legitimate challenger out there in the East. I do think that it's a foregone conclusion at this point that Cleveland or, or Boston, rather, is going to be top one or two in the East. Right. Um, they look to be the real deal long term. Philly is the team I probably have the biggest questions about. Philly, they took a hit during this offseason, and they lost some pieces that people may have undervalued a little bit. I think whether or not Philly becomes a monster in the East that's competing for the finals for the next couple of years all comes down to Markel Fultz. Right. I was a little surprised they didn't move him this offseason just to kind of give him a fresh start, get value before his value value. tanks. Yeah. But if Fultz comes back, I mean, the kid was the number one pick in the draft. If you miss on that, it's just uh, – you can't. You can't miss on the number one pick in the draft and and not have repercussions. And really, when you look at that team beyond Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, mm-hmm. is there yeah. anybody out there that really gets you excited? There's some nice pieces. Sarich is a nice piece. Yeah. Robert Covington is still hanging on. He's been dangled in every trade discussion that's been out yeah. there. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Philly moving forward. 
So after that, I don't really think there's any behemoths in the East. Yep. Milwaukee, they keep tantalizing us. And 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 hoops heads that are, you know, deep fans keep looking and they're like, God, there's a lot of talent there. They lose a piece in Jabari Parker. You, you haven't been able to see Giannis on the floor with a full complement of players around him. Um, Milwaukee could be nice, but I don't think they're scaring everybody yet. Right. So Cleveland be jousting with them. The Raptors and this Kawhi Leonard experiment, I think they're putting an awful lot of hope into right. Drake can talk this guy into staying in Toronto. Right. If he does, cool. If he doesn't and they gave up DeRozan and a couple man. of number ones, yeah. that's going to be a pick, uh, a, a trade that we look at for years and just kind of shake our heads. Yeah. Let me back up to Philly. Sure. What was the knock on Ben Simmons coming out of college? Can't shoot. He didn't play his rookie year. What did he do to for him to come in his second season and still not be able to shoot? That's true. So, come his third season, will he be able to shoot? I mean, so you've had two years to get better at shooting a sh- jump shot of some range, and you've done nothing. So. How can I bank on the fact that you go spend this summer getting better when we knew coming out of LSU you couldn't shoot? That's interesting, and I don't think I ever considered that, that during that year it wasn't as if he was in a wheelchair. Exactly. And I don't think I ever sort of consciously thought about that, but that's an excellent he point. He should have had some shooting coach every – just even if it's a stationary working on your form and getting reps and getting comfortable shooting the ball, he should have been better – this past season than he was. Well, I still say, like LeBron said, this guy could be the future. Right. He could be the next guy, but it is all contingent upon him developing a jump shot. Um, the ceiling for him, if he doesn't develop that jumper, is limited. Yeah. I mean, you've got to be able to score, and yes, he is a matchup nightmare, um, but you've got to be able to solve the problem. Look, I am not the brightest bulb in the pack. I watched Ben Simmons play quite a few times this past season. And guys would run out on him, and he'd go by them. Why? And so I'm thinking, of these coaches have a, film, a tape guy that all he does is cut up tape, assistant coaches, evaluations. And I'm thinking, give him six feet. You're going to have to shoot this ball. There's no way – because when you drive it, you're a great player. When you shoot it, you're not very good. So I'm going to make you do what you're not comfortable doing. And I couldn't believe the number of times. He could just go by, guys. And I'm thinking, he has not even attempted a jump shot. He's so uncomfortable, he he won't even shoot it if he's open. Well, here's – well, I'll get to it on the other side. You're listening to From the Cheap Seats in Central North Carolina. We appreciate you hanging out with us. Krista Lambert and Brandon Atkins always help me with my draft picks, but I sure wish they would stop hanging out with Zeke Elliott. When I was just a tiny baby, I was stolen from my parents. I was imprisoned in a cramped cage and was touched and photographed completely against my will, solely for somebody's profit. Then I started to grow bigger, and they locked me away for life. If you knew that was the life of a tiger cub, would you still pay to pet her? 
Learn how they're exploited through petting and photo ops at cubabuse.com. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. You're listening to From the Cheap Seats with Chris DeLambert and Brandon Atkins. But if you really want to know what's going on, Professor Trent, they should listen to you and me, Diamond Dave Kaplan. We've got a better grasp on sports, I think. It's astute analysis. Welcome back to From the Cheap Seats. Yeah, all right, so before the break, we were talking about Ben Simmons and his lack of a jumper. And, and I have this question for you. Is it possible that there's something in Philly's system amongst the staff members there, something they're doing that is damaging to these young guys and their jump shot? Because it's just interesting. You're talking about two guys in back-to-back years that are the first player taken in the draft. And both of them have issues with their jump shot. Right. In one case, you have Simmons, who is flat at best and hadn't gotten any better, and Markel Fultz, who suddenly has forgotten how to shoot the basketball. It is entirely possible that it's just, you know, happenstance and that the shoulder injury was really the problem with Markel Fultz. But a guy that's that athletic, that has that kind of track record, how does he all of a sudden – not know how to shoot a basketball anymore. Let me tell you, I've coached for a long time, and one of the things I've learned, the mental part of the game is a major part of the game. So when you get it in your head that you can't do something, you're not going to do it, and you're not going to be good at it. I think that's what happened to Fultz. He – maybe the shoulder, and I don't know know all the uh, dynamics behind it, but at some point it got in his head – he was thinking about everything he was doing instead of being a player and reacting to uh, the situation. So I think that's what happened with him. Ben Simmons, never been able to shoot. So I just don't know what he's been doing. And he had an entire year to get better, and he didn't get any better. Free throws, jump shot, nothing. So I think Philly, uh, their staff ran afoul of him by not just Hey, here is your weakness. We are going to make you better. Every day we come in here, we're going to watch film. We're going to get shots. We're going to work on form. We're going to get reps. You will be better. you got to put it in his head so that once he starts doing all those things and he gets back into a situation where he's playing, every when you play, you got to start shooting the ball. So not during the season, but practice. When you come down, you got to pull it. I don't care if you miss it. you got to pull it. you got to develop some confidence. And he never did that. Hmm. Well, the only basketball that's going on right now is the TBT tournament. You've been checking that out? I was going to get us a team in there, but well, we needed a couple more weeks to get in shape. You know, we could start getting ready for local, not next year. but The local league? Well, that, hey, that would be it. That would be the team loco. That's right. I like that. Um, I love this whole concept. And I'll tell you that, that until – and this, I guess, is the fifth year that they've been doing the TBT basketball tournament. And for those of you that don't know, it is a 64-team tournament 
single elimination winner take all tournament for $2 million. And what you're seeing is mostly teams that are made up of guys that are former college players, um, guys that were on the NBA periphery. There's a couple guys that, you know, had significant runs in the NBA. Um, a lot of the teams are made up of alums or mostly of alums from a particular school. It's a lot of fun. And and the difference between this and other non-college basketball is what? It's really good basketball. These guys know how to play, and they play hard. Unlike summer league, it seemed to me in NBA summer league, guys were trying to prove themselves. I get it. You're trying to make an impression on a GM or a coach. And worst case, if you don't make a roster or get invited to camp, you get an opportunity to go to Europe. These guys see a $2 million paycheck, and they're going after it every game. And you know what I like about it, too? It's not glorified pickup ball. They actually execute offense. They have strategies and schemes. So it's really good basketball. The only thing I don't like, they need to change the name. Yeah, I don't the TBT, I don't know what it is. They maybe all state or Well, that's the thing. You know, they need Puma, a sponsor. Puma is and and watching over the last week, my wife actually asked me, who puts this on? Right. And I said, well, I see Puma everywhere, but I don't understand why one of these corporate sponsors, whether it was Puma or somebody else, just doesn't put themselves exactly up there. You know, Nike dumps all this money into AAU stuff. Adidas does too. And it's the Nike Invitational, Nike yep. Classic, the Adidas this, the Adidas that. I don't understand why somebody didn't step up and say, hey, because there's no name value in TBT. I don't None. even know what that – I don't even have any idea what it stands for. Right. Um, so that's an excellent point. I also like the venues these guys are playing in because there's something lost in the bigger arenas. Um, and then when you get to – the NCAAs in particular, you get to the Final Four and they're playing in these dome stadiums. Right, it's huge. They're playing in the equivalent of small Division One, not even Division One gyms. They're playing in college gyms and basically big high school facilities. Yep. And the crowd is right there. A couple thousand people packed in. They're right there on the floor. You know, seats going straight up into the air, and it's a great environment. Yep. Um, that's where most of us have played our basketball if we play competitively. Um, and it's a lot of fun. And it's fun for the players. When you go into a gym and there's 15,000 seats and there's 6,000 people, that's not a lot of fun because the energy's bad. But when you go in a gym that holds 4,500 or 6,000 and it's full and it's hot and it's rocking and people are yelling, that's when it's fun for the players. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's pretty cool. I'd actually and and they they may do this, but I think they should expand this and and play regional tournaments right. to qualify so for this national, yeah. to get up into there. And you know, if if a group out of Sanford, North Carolina, decided to throw a team together, you know, go up there and if they make it, that's cool. Right. I it doesn't seem like it would take a whole lot of infrastructure to make that happen. Nope. Um, I, I think. With the growth and the fact that we've got a TV contract now. So you can't tell me you break it up into northeast, southeast, and whatever regions, and you take eight teams out of each region or ten, and you bring them to Chicago or where, you know, that would be a fabulous opportunity 
when you got some backstories, team from Sanford knocked off, team from Charlotte, yeah, made their way to the regional and then now in the national. It's just like the NCAA tournament. Well, it is just like the NCAA double tournament or, or NCAA tournament, or would be. I think in this instance, it ought to really be regional. Right. And you break it into four sectors, four zones, and that's what it is, or even more. I mean, you could do eight or whatever the case might be. But legitimately, we're coming out of the southeast right. or the northwest or whatever the case might be. In the NCAAs at this point, it's like, all right, well, we've got 60, I guess it's 68 teams at this point. Uh, we're just going to, you know, put them in here. Now, you they reward teams and keep them close to home. But then they punish other teams and they send them out of the region. Yeah. But you could just as easily have Syracuse coming out of the Southwest. Right. Just kind of weird how that all works out. Um, baseball. Did you watch the uh, Hall of Fame induction this week? I did not, but I did see the highlights. And one of my, and I'm not a huge baseball fan, but one of my favorite players was Chipper Jones. I used to love the Braves. We got cable in 1977. Jeez. <laughs> I'll never forget. Did you have cable or did you have like the full-size satellite? No, we had cable. That's the first time we got cable. And two things I remember, we got TBS, so I got to watch Hawks and the Braves. And then we got HBO, and it was the best Earth, Wind, and Fire concert I've ever seen, Ah. 1977. But uh, So I became a Braves fan during that stretch. And when I was at Duke – the uh, of course the uh, Durham Bulls were a Braves affiliate, so I saw Ron Gant and David Justice and some of those guys come through Durham who went on to make it to the majors. I would see them around town. That's cool. So uh, I've always had a a long affiliation and appreciation for the Braves. I think that I think the kids these days don't have any idea how big a deal WTBS and WGN were. Right. Um, WTBS, I think. Everybody has a soft spot. Every baseball fan in America has a soft spot for the Braves because they were the one team that you could always see no matter what. Then WGN kind of hopped on there, and the Cubs, it was the same situation. So it's basically, all right, who's playing the Braves and the Cubs? Which one of these do I want to check out? But WGN ran Bulls telecast. And I can remember that goes all the way back. I mean, people think in Jordan, but before that, Reggie Theus and those guys – I was on that train and WTBS with the Hawks. Uh, Tree Rollins and Kevin Willis and Dominique Wilkins as they came through the pipeline. Now there is no sort of regional coverage, which I think at some point we will see us get back to. Um, You know, we've talked about it before, but with the NBA NBA League Pass or with MLB Extra Innings, there is no value in me buying the entire package because there's only – a team that I want to see 82 times a year um, in the NBA. With with baseball, 162 games. I watched the Reds 162 times. I don't want to watch anybody else. I think we'll see it pivot back. Before we get out of here, you're listening on WDCC. Uh, follow us on over the internet. WRPR, Ironic Media, continue to march. And if you're listening to the podcast, we got an hour left to go. This week's trivia – or next week's trivia category is – Come on. Cocaine. No, we already did cocaine celebrities. Oh, We're talking about the week. following next week. Next week. I don't know. Oh, man. Let's do um, Sesame Street. Yes. Sesame Street it is next week. Cocaine celebrity scandal this week. 
Krista Lambert and Brandon Adkins on From the Cheap Seats, a production of Cheap Seats Radio. You know what really gets a party started? Indoor baseball. Yeah, just find a broom or a pool cue and you can use like anything as a ball. Cans, bottles, shoes. Hey bro, toss me that avocado. Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Underage drinking and driving, the ultimate party foul. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. I'm Chris DeLambert. I'm Brandon Atkins. I'm Professor Trent Nichols. Coming to you from the cheap seats. Welcome back to From the Cheap Seats. This is the second hour. And as we were going to the break, we were talking about the impact that WTBS and WGN had on the sports landscape. Um, now, with all of the national coverage, you, there's, there's sports overload. Um, and you're seeing stuff. You've got more cable outlets right now than you've got sports to fill. And it seems like we're backsliding there are days where I turn on ESPN and I feel like I'm stuck in 1983. Back when they first came on the air, when you turned on ESPN and it was softball. Yachting. What happened to Australian rules football? Remember Australian oh, rules yeah. football was like yeah. huge. And now I don't even know if you can't find it. American coverage. It's kind of interesting. This was an interesting year for the Baseball Hall of Fame. This is only the fourth time that four players had been elected by the Baseball Writers Association. Um, those four players, I think, were all good inductees, all worthy candidates. Um, Vladimir Guerrero was a freakish athlete who was a lot of fun to watch. He looked like he was trying to hurt somebody when he was swinging the bat. Yeah. He was fun. Trevor Hoffman was around forever. Um, a guy that came up as a red, actually. Um, so has a special place in my heart. But um, had a wipeout sinker, um, which is something you you don't see in closers, but but was doing his thing forever. Chipper Jones, obviously, I think was the, the highlight of this class. I think Chipper Jones was a slam dunk. Uh, and we knew 15 years ago that he would be a first ballot Hall yep. of Famer. Jim Tomei. Jim Tomey, I look at that guy, and I don't know that Tomey was ever really, for any extended period, in the conversation of the best ten players in baseball, yep. which is kind of where my thing is. If, if I look at guys and, and I'm considering whether they're Hall of Fame worthy or not, were they ever the best at their position, or were they – you know, consistently in the top ten players in baseball throughout their their careers. Tell me, I don't know that he measures up to that, but he did it for so long. And yep. when you look at the longevity, numbers, 
Longevity, and he played through the steroid era and is one of those guys that came out clean and there were never any whispers because he's yeah. just a big dude yep. to start with. Um, so it was interesting. The the questions I have, and, and I wish Trent were here today, no offense to you, Bricky, but I'd really like to have a debate with a couple of baseball guys and it, it may happen in a bar if some people are listening to this and they're like, hey, I heard what you said about Trammell and Morris. I don't think Trammell nor Morris should have gotten into the Hall of Fame. Why is that? Um, Alan Trammell was a nice player for a very long time. But Trammell is one of those guys who, for an extended period, was never a guy that you looked at and is like, oh, you know, he's one of the right. best players in baseball. He played during the era with George Brett and Paul Molitor and guys like that that – that put up better numbers. He played at a non-premium position and played most of his career up against Ryan Sandberg, who was the best second baseman in baseball, and Trammell really never approached that. I know this would be heresy to a lot of baseball fans. I'm not sure that Trammell was the best middle infielder in Detroit. I liked Lou Whitaker better. And that was an interesting tandem, that second-base shortstop combination. Those guys kind of came up together. They were there forever in Detroit together. They were fixtures. Um, but even when you look back to the Detroit teams that won a World Series, Trammell wasn't really the focal point of that team. Jack Morris is one of those guys that was a very nice pitcher for a very long time that just happened to pitch for about 1,000 years. Yeah. Um, they were put in by the Veterans Committee. A class of six. This, to me, felt a little bit more like the NFL Hall of Fame, where they're like, we're just going to keep putting as many players in as we can put right. because they'll be ambassadors for the game. So it's an interesting waypoint for baseball right now um, because this could mark the beginning of the new era where they're putting in three, four, five players yeah. a year or – they're backsliding in its onesies and twosies. It'll be interesting to see what next year's class looks like. Um, you've got looking forward um, next year. There are some interesting candidates. Uh, probably the most interesting is Edgar Martinez because that's going to be the question: How much value does the DH have? Um, Mike Mussina is on the ballot. Of course, Clemens Bonds. Um, Schilling, Omar Vizquel is a guy that that interests me um, because he was he was all glove, and I, I hear people talk about sort of the gold standard for defense in Major League Baseball at this point, and I think at some point there has to be sort of a cutoff. Mm-hmm. Ozzie Smith was the gold standard for shortstops. Yep. And I never saw Vizquel do anything on a diamond that Ozzie Smith couldn't couldn't do. Um, so I don't know that there's room in my Hall of Fame for Omar Vizquel. Larry Walker is one of those guys that's on the periphery. Um, Manny Ramirez is coming up the pipe. It's going to be interesting. And at some point, we're going to have to put the whole, you know, there, there needs to be a ruling. We need to have a meeting. We need a memo as to what we're going to do with these steroid guys. Yeah. Because either keep them on the ballot or take them off the ballot. Yep. But they're getting pockets of support. None of them have gotten in yet. So I think it's it's pretty clear that it's an unwritten thing amongst the writers that they're not going to put in Sosa. They're not going to put in Palmero. They're not going to put in 
Bonds, Clemens, the rest of them. I have a problem with that, though, because with some of these guys, and some of them are even active now, Albert Pujols, Mm -hmm. just didn't get caught. And I think for the baseball writers to look at it and make judgment based on these guys that failed test, I think is very naive. Um, And maybe they just want to pretend that, yes, baseball's flawless system got everybody. And here's the other piece of it, too, is some players get a pass because I'm going to guarantee you that Big Poppy gets in as soon as he's eligible. Oh, yeah. No and doubt. we just forget that, you know, he got popped on a test. Yeah. He got he became so likable. Right. And then they had a uh, string of success late in his career, and he was he was really good late in his career. So he'll get in. But this is what gets me about baseball. They enjoyed the success of Mark – I mean um, – Mark, Mark McGuire. <laughs> Mark, yeah, Mark McGuire. Yeah, yeah. Baseball fans really, really big on that. Bonds and, and all these other guys. Uh, Sammy Sosa. They saved the game. I was going to say those exact they same words. They saved and, the game. And so baseball enjoyed unprecedented success during that stretch. And now they turn their back on the same guys that saved the game. And so – I see why baseball writers might have a beef, but baseball, I was like, come on now. You Ratings were through the roof. You had, it was uh, daily television. You were intrigued by the home run. I can uh, still clearly remember watching Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire on a daily basis chase that home run record. And and baseball was all over the news, not just Sports Center. Yes, so we, we have posters the time, on the wall during a time when the game was dying. Yeah, and they saved it. And and since then, baseball has done a lot to kill itself again. Yes, they need something to bring it back out of the doldrums and jump into the American consciousness. But there's nothing that's happened in the last 25 years that did as much for baseball as Sosa and McGuire. And we just pretend that everybody else was clean. And here's my statement as it applies to steroids. The part that we never want to talk about, there are two things. First of all, all of these home run hitters that juiced up, they were facing pitchers who were juiced up. You know, there's a reason that Roger Clemens got busted for PEDs. There were always rumors about other guys like Andy Pettit and the rest of them, but it was what players did to keep up. Let me say, this is what this this is the uh, dual minded approach of America. If I could tell you right now, hey, there's something you can take every day that's going to help in your career and take you to the top. I don't care what career it is. The average American would do it and not think about it. I'll take you one step further. If I told you I've got something that you can take that is going to take you to the top of your career but may cost you 10 or 15 years on your total lifespan, guess what? You'd be first in line. And if you don't believe that, look no further than football. Yep. At this point, the evidence about brain injury is pretty clear. We see 
Saturday and Sunday, oh, yeah. Friday nights jammed up with football all across our country. And these guys are not ignorant. At this point, it is not a lack of awareness yep. amongst these families that, hey, um, the concussion risk is high. Multiple concussions could result in all kinds of trauma, and it may shorten my life down the road. And there is no hesitation with most of these folks. Now, what you said is also proven by the fact, and it was to my second point, that through the 60s and 70s, everybody in baseball took amphetamines. When amphetamines became a thing, they were taking them by the fistful. And I can remember a quote from Pete Rose that players were not allowed to play clean. It was just an expectation. This is what we're going to do. If you look back to the NFL 20 years ago, after the steroid era, they were still hyped up with painkillers. Yep. You know, Kenny Easley basically had kidney failure because of all the painkillers he had taken over the course of time. These guys are going to do that. They are willing to do that. Most of us are willing to do that. If somebody came in here right now and said, hey, I got a pill you can take and it'll make you the number one radio show in the country, sign me up. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about this. Guys that make it to that level, it's a short career. Let's say you make somewhere between low end ten million and high end three hundred million. If you manage that right, you set up you your family for generations. So well, I would be willing to take if you told me nine fifty, hey, we're gonna make you on top of the world, put you on top of the world for the next ten years, but you'll be dead at sixty, I I say sign me up. There's something to be said in, in in the wake of Clint Capella's contract this past week. That is one of the players, and I, I don't know who I can attribute the quote to, said, good for him. He has made legacy money. Yep. You're talking about my grandkids are solid type money. Um, you look at musicians. You look at business people, all of that. They're always looking for an edge. Oh, yeah. It's that competitive drive. And you know what? Down the road, I'm not looking that foresighted. And they're really, frankly, it's not a whole lot wrong with that outlook from my perspective. Um, you look back to the 60s and 70s with players that had access to amphetamines. Look back to the 30s. Cocaine was legal. If you think these players weren't playing coked up, you're crazy. Yep. And whether you like it or not, it's it does the same thing as amphetamine, gives you the ability to focus. There's always going to be something out there. And in and it's interesting that as we talk about this, the Tour de France came to an end this past week. That's a prime example of a sport that just ought to say Ali Ali Ox. Do whatever you want. want to. Do what you want to do. We'll see you on the other side of the break. You're listening from the cheap seats in central North Carolina. You're listening to From the Cheap Seats from Sanford, North Carolina. I was stolen from my parents. I was imprisoned in a cramped cage and was touched and photographed completely against my will, solely for somebody's profit. Then I started to grow bigger, and they locked me away for life. If you knew that was the life of a tiger cub, would you still pay to pet her? Learn how they're exploited through petting and photo ops at cubabuse.com. 
Hey Clarice, can we please put on the new Justin Bieber album? Hold on, Dad will be mad if we don't listen to From the Cheap Seats. Welcome back to From the Cheap Seats. Alright, welcome back to From the Cheap Seats. Kristen Lambert, Robert Bricky hanging out with you. And we have pivoted off the NBA finally through MLB. And now it's time to talk football. There are murmurs in Cleveland about Baker Mayfield. And as they have moved into camp, the whispers coming out of there are from players who are looking at Baker Mayfield in this hand and Tyrod Taylor in this hand. And as we said months ago, Tyrod Taylor, better athlete, better decision maker, bigger arm, experience, and here you have Baker Mayfield, who's a cocky kid with no track record in the NFL. There's going to be a problem here. I think the players at this point in Cleveland are scratching their heads, and there's probably some of that on the coaching staff too, and they're like, why do we spend the first pick on this kid when we already had a better version of him here? Tyrod Taylor is a nice football player. Tyrod Taylor probably never going to carry a team to a championship, but the number of quarterbacks out there living, breathing, walking the earth right now that can carry a team to a championship is very small. So if you don't have one of those, you need to find a guy like Tyrod Taylor who can come in, and if you surround him with enough talent, not blow it. Um, I think the Baker Mayfield situation in Cleveland is going to get worse before it gets better. I think that the road to starting in Cleveland is longer than Baker Mayfield suspects it's going to be. And barring an injury to Tyrod Taylor, I think Mayfield's going to carry a clipboard. And I don't know that this young man is going to receive that well. Right. We saw it in college where he transferred and was like, uh-uh, I'm out of here. You didn't get to transfer here. You can't transfer out of Cleveland. If you could, Cleveland would not have anybody on the roster because everybody to left. <laughs> um, in addition, out there in Cleveland, it's so much fun to trash the Browns. I said last week that my assumption was Josh Gordon had failed a drug test and come to the team and said, hey, look, I'm hot. Um, I'm going to amend my statement a little bit. Given what has come out now, I'm going to take that off the table. I don't think he failed a test. I think that he failed a counseling requirement and missed a mandated something. Um, And that was Cleveland's reaction. Well, we're just going to put him back in a full-time treatment facility. But I think something went awry. Still no comment from the league with regard to Josh Gordon's situation. And Cleveland is trying their best to deflect it. They don't do very good with damage control or anything else. So it's not surprising that they haven't cleared the air. In the interim, they look to be the most likely landing spot for Des Bryant. Des Bryant, you see here a classic case of an agent that should be fired. When Dallas approached him six months ago and said, hey, we probably need to talk about a pay cut. It should have been a no-brainer for his representatives to do whatever it took 
to convince him we probably need to entertain this. Because here we sit and it's almost August and Des Bryant is unemployed. I know that all athletes are proud. A guy that has gotten to the top of the mountain like Des Bryant, supremely proud. And doesn't want to, you know, who would want who would want to? You know, who who wants to take a pay cut? Nobody. But I promise you, whatever he would have gotten in Dallas if he'd have been receptive to renegotiating his contract is going to be significantly more than what he's going to get in Cleveland or wherever he lands. The other part of this problem is even if he comes back and has, let's say, a nice year for Cleveland, let's say he puts up 1,000 yards, he's at a point in his career, age-wise, where that does not translate into another big long-term deal someplace else. So. I didn't like about Dez is when that Dallas released him, he tweeted something to the effect, now they're going to feel my wrath. First of all, you haven't been very good in about two years. Right? So I'm like, what are you talking about? You have sucked for two years, and now you're going to get refocused and come out and be this. Where have you been for the last two years? Dropping balls and lack of production, and then you are constantly an issue, a worry about off-the-field issues. So who anointed you and made you so good that you can come back and dominate the league? And it's evidenced by the fact that the Hall of Fame game is Thursday and you don't have a job. You and T.O. are in the same boat. At least he's going to Canada. You you cross me up with the whole T.O. thing. <laughs> I'm sorry. I still think that, you know, T.O. ought to sign with the Lakers. <laughs> Lake show. That, that's that's my my hope is he that T.O., you know, come on, do your thing. T, that is interesting, though, that T.O. and Des Bryant are in the same boat. And, and I'll ask you the same question I asked about Dwight Howard. Des Bryant, Hall of Fame or no? No. I'm going to tell you I think he gets in because he played for Dallas. And Dallas, for whatever reason, gets more love with regard to Hall of Famers. Now, the difference between Des Bryant and the Cowboys that have come before him, Des doesn't have one of these. Yeah. Des doesn't have a ring. So, I don't know. And that'll be the shift because the same conversation is going to be had with Tony Tony Romo. Is Romo a Hall of Famer? Yeah. It's going to be an interesting conversation because in the past, all of these Cowboy candidates – have had a ring. Those two guys probably been the best Cowboys of the last 20 years. Yeah, uh, yeah. They don't have a ring, so now they're with all of the other teams out there, and it'll be interesting to see if Dallas gets that kind of love. So, huh, I hadn't really thought about that much before right now, too. And Romo, you know, you're only a couple ways from, from – or a couple years from that conversation occurring. Yep. Um, hmm. I think he gets in. You think Romo gets in? I think he gets in really? because he played for the Cowboys, as you just stated – and he was a very likable guy. See, Des Bryant is not a likable guy. I told you earlier we talked about Hall of Famers. If you're received well by the public and the writers, you get a pass, and that helps you in your process to get into the Hall of Fame. I think that Tony Romo gets in in large part because of the pantheon of Romo girlfriends over the years. <laughs> Because he was rumored with every it girl in Hollywood yeah, and, and for about all the rest six of that. years. And here's the other thing too: this would be, you know what? I bet this would be something too. 
I bet you, without looking it up, Tony Romo would be the first Latino in the NFL Hall of Fame. He's Latino? Yes, he is. I did not know yes, that. Yes, he is. Um, that may be the thing that propels him. Right. Um, there you go. Because, you know, everybody loves diversity these That's days. That's right. Except for Major League Baseball. Um, I don't know if you saw this, man, but, you know, we talked about the Josh Hader tweets yep. last week. Trey Turner of the Washington Nationals now has had some tweets uncovered that uh, are being labeled hateful. Trey Turner from Florida played here at NC State before he was drafted by the Washington Nationals. And at the risk of sounding racist, um, I will say this. Trey Turner might be the fastest white guy I've ever seen in my life. I don't know. I know you're not a big baseball fan. This dude is one of the fastest baseball players alive. Probably the second fastest player in Major League Baseball behind Billy Hamilton. And you just don't think of that in this day and age or any day and age. But Trey Turner with some homophobic – I'm not even going to call him homophobic uh, because I don't want to label him that way. Um, with some tweets, here's my issue with the tweets from what I've seen. And what I've seen mostly is uh, explanations in the press of these things. I haven't seen uh, comments from Trey Turner or anything else. What they strike me as is banter. Right. Um, they, They are... Ah, nothing that anybody would be proud of, but they are mostly in response to other tweets from people who are joking yep. and saying things that are obviously not true and just so, sort of riding so on So they that. could be taken out of context. I don't know that they're out of context. I think that it was attempts at humor, and in the moment I wouldn't I won't even call it bad humor right. because I might have been like, ah, right. I'll be honest with you, it's the type stuff – and I don't know. I can't think of a situation where anybody of us, any of us, would say anything anti-gay. I don't right. think amongst the the five of us here on the show that anybody has any hate toward anything. But we rib each other and we we make fun of everything. And we have for, I mean, nobody else would know. We have a running uh, instant message thing where we talk about everything and, yep. and whether it's sports related to, you know, entertainment, alcohol, wherever we're at, you know, if we're somewhere and there are times where there's some pretty racy stuff there and we're yeah. digging at each other, whatever the case might be. These tweets from Trey Turner are in that sort of vein. Okay. They just happen to be on social media where everybody could see them yep. because honestly, I look at that and I'm not going to relate the exact conversation, but we had a, a running dialogue about Trey Young the other day. Yep. Um, and the possibility of him playing in the WNBA and things like that. It was pretty which funny is, to us. Which if we put it out there on social media, that other people might to you take know that, take that yeah. a different way. I think Trey Young, I'm gonna say on these, he is being caught up in the vacuum with this Josh Hader. Josh Hader, yeah. when you say KKK, white power, yeah, yeah. I hate gay that's people. Another level. <laughs> that's yeah. That's pretty cut and dry, and there is no context there. You know what I do like about um, his response? He came out. He acknowledged it. He apologized. He owned it. And he's ready to move on. And see, I never saw that with Hater. No. 
Hater was had an explanation, and he kind of felt his way around. Well, it. well, see, and it makes it worse because the Milwaukee fans came out and they gave Hater a standing ovation. And Hater's comments since that point, in particular, have been kind of Donald Trumpish, right? Where it's like, I want to apologize to the people that are offended, but the people that share my views, I still got you. <laughs> we'll see you on the other side. We got half an hour to go. You're listening on WRPR, Ironic Media, or the podcast, one way or the other. We appreciate it. You're listening to Krista Lambert and Brandon Adkins on From the Cheap Seats, a production of Cheap Seats Radio. Welcome back to The Cat Show. Up next, we have Nico. Nico is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their sunspot sleeping, ball chasing, leg rubbing, and of course, companionship. Just look how she struts. It's like she owns the place. And see how she curls up and cuddles her person. The pitch on her purring is simply perfect. Nice one. Fantastic cat. But really the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Nico is to meet one. Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Hello, I'm Rob Beckley, lead singer of the band Pillar. I served in the Army Reserve for eight years, and it taught me lessons in teamwork, leadership, and organizational skills that I still use today. Serving part-time in the Army Reserve also offers skill training, money for college, and bonuses up to $20,000. So if you're up to the challenge, talk to your local Army Reserve recruiter today or check us out online at GoArmyReserve.com. You too can be Army strong in the Army Reserve. You're listening to From the Cheap Seats with Chris DeLambert and Brandon Atkins. You may not like your seats, but you'll love the show. All right, welcome back. Last half hour of From the Cheap Seats. It's just been the two of us, man. It's kinda, Dynamic duo. Kind of intimate. Got a little candle going in here. That's Lights right. down low. We a good meal. It's from Four Loco. It's, <laughs> it's kind of wild. This is high quality, Mo. It liquor. is high quality. But if anybody in the listening area, if anybody in the state of North Carolina knows where you can get Black Cherry. Black Cherry Loco. We've been on, Loco, the, on the lookout. Let us know. We will buy it. We'll buy a, a significant a quantity. Yeah, a case would be or fine. Would be no problem. Or Two cases, whichever. It doesn't matter. Just let us know if you can put hands on it. But I want to spend the last half hour educating people. Um, we have a very varied listenership, and it's interesting where they come in pockets because there are some people I know personally who listen to the show every doggone week, and there are things where I know as soon as it comes out of my mouth, I'm going to get a tweet, I'm going to get a call. Uh, I'm going to run into somebody. And then there are people that I run into randomly who are like, oh, you're that guy. Mm -hmm. Yes. It runs the gamut from sort of 15-year-old kids all the way to the oldest person I probably know or have run into is probably in their 60s that listens to the show. Um, And we appreciate every one of you guys. But here's the thing for the younger people in particular, but for other folks too, because you need to know this. We were talking as as we went through the break, and you were you were relating a story where you know half the details. But the point is, there was a young lady a year or two ago that got admitted to Harvard. Harvard. They went back, reviewed her social media, saw some questionable content, and denied her admission, yep. and she didn't get in. I'm going to tell you, just to put that in perspective, Brandon and I own a restaurant here locally. 
a couple of times now we have put up social media postings, say, hey, look, we're hiring. Mm -hmm. And resumes start coming in. And that's the method that we're using. I'm going to tell you right now, unapologetically, the very first thing that happens before the resume is even opened, let me go to Facebook, see what this person's about. Yep. And you're, I'm making snap judgments about this person and the posts, the photos, all the rest of that stuff as to whether that's somebody I even want to open the resume for. Yep. If it goes onto the internet, it's there forever. Kids, you're looking at Josh Hader, who is 24 years old, seven years removed from this nonsense that he put up there, whether he meant it or not is immaterial. Because even if he did mean it, somebody at some point should have got in his head and been like, eh, let's go take a look at what's up there. Yep. Because at some point, some bored writer or fan or whatever the case might be is going to go in, troll, figure out what's going on, and just roll through there. When my wife and I met, it's been seven plus years ago, she brought it to my attention shortly after we got together uh you got a little bit of work you need to do on your social media mm -hmm. and i was like what are you talking about she said there's some pictures of your ex-wife up there on facebook i hadn't even thought about it right so i sat down and went back through all my photos all my history and i was like oh snap right all of that is gone erased it could have just as easily been, you know, that drunken weekend in wherever yep. where there were all those pictures up there. In some cases, I have had people put things onto my account and tag me in where I'm like, uh-uh. Yeah, yeah. Block that. Yeah. And it's because I'm aware at this point that there's no telling who's looking at that, you know, whether it's a, an, an investor, an employer, or whatever the case might be. You are, whether you like it or not, what you appear to be on exactly. social media in a lot of contexts. That's just how it is. And I want people to recognize that. And I'm not telling you, if you're a racist, be a racist, just don't have it on social media. Right. It would be much better if you were not a racist. Yeah. That would be the ideal situation. But if you have something, whether you intend it to prove a point or not people are going to look at that and extract what they feel they should extract not necessarily what you want them to get exactly does that make sense you could have cured cancer but you had three off-color comments 17 years ago and that's what they're going to bring out when i was a college coach which i haven't been in a while we had social media policy and we would say, everybody's got a camera now. So when you walk into a party or a situation, people know who you are, and they're taking pictures and they're filming. So don't put yourself in this bad situation. How'd that work out? It worked, for the most part, pretty well. And then the other part of that is, keep it very generic on social media. Do not, I know you want to express yourself in your opinion. Don't do that on social media. And don't put controversial things out there or I said it's just ways that can come back to harm you down the road that you're not thinking of today I will tell you that one of my 
hobbies <laughs> is to poke the bear on Facebook. Really? I don't go on Facebook much anymore. And people always ask me all the time, whether it's my wife, whether it's my kids, my mother, friends, did you see this on Facebook? Probably not. Right. Um, Facebook is the ultimate time waster. Yep. However, when I have time to waste, people that know me well will tell you one of my favorite pastimes is to post political commentary on Facebook. Right. And it's amazing to me how people are like, well, I bet you didn't think it was this. Oh, yes, I did. (laughs) I know exactly how much stirring of the pot I was doing, and it was strategically done because I want to see where it goes. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you this, Brick. There are people, given their responses to my posts or responses or posts that I have found my way to of theirs, that I would never – do business with or associate with based on something they put up on Facebook. Um, And maybe that's fair. Maybe it's not. But those of you out in the listening audience, if you weren't aware that it had that much gravitas, it does. Yeah. It's that big a deal. And you really need to think about what's going on. And if you've got kids and you're not paying attention to what they put out there, um, you should. One of my kids put up a video onto um, Instagram and I found my way to it and I had to sit and watch it and it was one of those things where I was like, oh, am I offended? Is this going to have any negative impact? And I really had to weigh it and in the end I was like, nope. It's cool. It's It was intended to be funny. Um, but I still had a conversation with her, and I told her, look, you're at the threshold right there. Mm-hmm. Um, what you did was funny, and it was a little bit vulgar, but it was on the verge of being a little bit more vulgar than it was funny. Right. And she kind of got it. Yeah. And she, she kind of understood what I was saying. And, you know, in that case, that's the type of thing that, you know, she's in that college age where she's trying to get into this program and that program. And like you said, having been a college coach, college admission folks and the rest of those fats, they're they're out there looking. They're looking. If you think that if your kid is out there seeking scholarships right now, and if you think somebody's not panning through social media, you are dead ass wrong. Yep. Now, so I, beware. I'll, I'll say this, kids. Um, yeah, like you said, they have to understand the magnitude of what they're posting. Yep. So when you're out there, let's say you meet somebody for business. Yes. They're going to let you know what they want you to know about them. Absolutely. But when you go to social media, you can see a whole different side. So your point It's amazing point. too, isn't it? Yeah, because if we're talking, he's like, man, he's a good guy. But then I go to your Facebook page and you're posting racist and misogynist tw- uh, tweets and Facebook posts. I'm like, hold on, that's not the guy that I met. So the other side of people comes out on social media. So I think your point was uh, 100% correct. It is. Uh, it's funny that you say that because I have had that happen many times where I ran into somebody, met somebody in a you know whatever setting, and in most cases, what's happened is they have sent me a friend request. Yep. 
And at some point, I'll find my way to it. But if I accept your friend request and I don't know you like that, I'm probably going to see what you're about. Yeah. And it's amazing to me how many times I'm like, oh, my God. You know, wow. And it could be, you know, something that, that is is startling. Misogyny is is crazy. Yep. Um, when it comes to things, I'll be honest with you. I have a I have a sensibility, a sensitivity rather, as it applies to the Confederate flag. Mm-hmm. That's been a debate for a very long time. My position on the Confederate flag is I break it down to you. And people that are out there listening, I'm not ashamed to put it out there. My wife is an African American. My question to people who have said, well, it's about heritage, is if my wife and I pull up to a small-town hotel in rural Alabama and there's a Confederate flag flying outside, do you think we're going to go in? Nope. Boom. Then that should be the answer to your question. I have lived in communities. I have lived through circumstances long before I met my wife where I know beyond any shadow of any doubt that the Confederate flag is used as a sign. Right. Stay out. That's just a fact of life. Yep. Now you may be sitting at the house and you're like, "Oh, it's you know, it's heritage, whatever the case might be." Well, cool. Yeah. But do know that in much of the country, many of the people that trot out the Confederate flag use it as a a weapon. Yep. That's just how it is. So I have this sensitivity, and it's I'll relate a story to you, and I'm going to keep the, I'm going to I'm going I'm to keep the names out of it. But I was talking to someone that I know well. And they were showing me pictures of a particular thing. And they wanted to show it off. And were showing it to me and handed me their phone. And were like, just flip through those. And I flipped one, flipped two, flipped three, flipped four. And then the picture of this room that they were showing me had this gigantic Confederate flag hung on the wall. Mm -hmm. And as I flipped to it. Snatch goes the phone, and they were like, "Oh yeah, 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 and they tried to like close the phone up because it dawned on them, "Oh, that's he probably had you know isn't down with the whole Confederate flag thing." So him knowing that and knowing me and knowing I'm a I'm a pretty rational guy, tells me that he is sensitive or aware of a possible sensitivity to that. But it's still like, I got this great big thing hanging on my wall. So what does that say about the guy? And I've been conflicted ever since. And it's just the kind of thing. But, you know, you go to social media and you see that type of stuff and whatever the case might be. And if, you know, you're a business person and you've got, you know, some sort of lifestyle choices that you've made or things that you do, probably you want to do the math and figure out, does this really fit with what I'm trying to do professionally? Because if it doesn't, you don't get to decide what's important to me when I'm looking at your social media profile. Exactly. That's so a great, that's a great point. And people are so sensitive, almost hypersensitive today to diversity and racial issues and, mis- and, and misogynistic issues. That if you post anything that could be interpreted in the slightest wrong way, they're gonna go. They're gonna run with it. Yes. So that's why I tell my daughter. Keep it generic. Keep it. I know you want to express yourself. That is great. There's a time and a place. Don't do it on social media. Well, I tell you that that most folks that have worked in a professional environment at some point have called one of their compadres and said, "Hey, man, before I send this email, come read this. Check yep. us out." 
and you're doing the B check on that on that email to make yep. sure you know you're coming off in the right tone. My wife and I actually have a social media check where on occasion she'll be like, "Hey, before I put this up, let me bounce it off you yep. first and make sure you get it." All right, we got 15 minutes to go. You're listening to From the Cheap Seats. We appreciate you hanging out with us. You're listening to From the Cheap Seats from Sanford, North Carolina. Everyone deserves a decent place to live. Everyone. Kiramutu todos. Decent shelter is something we all need to thrive. Through shelter, we empower. Visit Habitat.org to donate today. My name is Forrest, Forrest Gump. My mom always told me, you don't have to sit down close to see the action. Sometimes it's better from the cheap seats. And that's all I gotta say about that. Welcome back to From the Cheap Seats. Last call. You're listening to From the Cheap Seats in Sanford, North Carolina. Krista Lambert, Robert Bricky, no Brandon Atkins, no Professor Trent Nichols, and no Diamond Dave Kaplan today. And Brick, we've about pulled it off. We, we, we've carried the load today. And I'm just saying, this could be the best two hours in the history of the is. show. I think it is. I think it is. It would have been really cool if there was like anything sports related we yeah, could have talked about. You know, that's what makes it great. We yeah. had nothing to talk about, and we made it happen. Boom. Boom. I will I do want to talk about real quickly, NFL wise, Rickwan Smith, who was drafted out of Georgia by the Minnesota Vikings, is one of the last holdouts of this draft. And it appears to be an issue over whether or not the team will take any of his guaranteed money if he's suspended for a helmet to helmet hit. How do you feel about that? Well, I just found this out. There's some interesting language in some of the contracts where teams can recoup money based on various suspensions. And I was like, wow, I did not know. And how did the NFLPA allow that to happen? Well, the NFLPA is run by an idiot. Okay. Smith, well, that, and that they just continue to get choke slammed by the owners every time they go into <laughs> negotiations. But I was like, so even to the point they can cut you based on various suspensions if it happens more than one time and not pay you at all. Yes. And I was like, holy crap, that's a – that's great if you're an owner, but that's terrible if you're a player, especially on in football with a limited career and a, a very short uh, longevity in that sport. You got a four-year career and you get cut in year two and a half. Then what? True. Now, to be fair, the Minnesota Vikings went through Danny Trevathan last year, made one of the nastiest, dirtiest hits you ever want to see in a game against Green Bay. They did not – keep any of his money while he was suspended for that. However, Smith coming in, he didn't know these cats. Yep. His representatives, you know, I, I would say that it's normally good policy when you're talking in terms of professional contracts uh, not to take you at your word. 
You know, there's a reason you're signing that contract, and and when you have that level of negotiation, that level of expertise at the table, you, it's impossible to say, well, we didn't understand, or we didn't have a, you know, we didn't come to a meeting of the minds. Right. No, you have a paid expert reviewing a contract. Yep. The letter of that contract is what is valid. Now, would the Vikings take care of them down the road? Maybe, um, but it is interesting. First of all, that it is that there's such this concern on the part of a defensive player. I actually think that his agents in this instance are being very prudent, and I think it's good. Um, I think it's conversations worthy of being had because the helmet, the leading with the helmet suspensions that we've seen, for the most part, it's very subjective. Yep. And some teams are going to take care of their players and you know pay the pay the fine for them. Um, others are not. And we see that from team to team, whatever the case might be. And it's probably time to have that conversation. And if it's guaranteed money, it's guaranteed money. The NFLPA at some point is going to develop some teeth. When you look at baseball and you look at basketball and the amount of money those guys take home over the course of their careers. Guaranteed. It is exponentially higher than players in the NFL are making. And... They don't put themselves at risk no. like the players do in the NFL. No, there's not an NBA player yet that I can think of that uh, you know had a traumatic brain injury and suffered down the road. It's same with Major League Baseball. These guys are taking less of a risk and making peanuts relative to – or are taking more of a risk and making peanuts yep. compared to the peers in the other sports around here. And that disparity at some point – the NFLPA is going to quit worrying about things like how many practices they can have, how many days of training camp, how many sessions in training camp, and they're going to get somebody in there that can actually throw some weight around and say, hey, look, guaranteed contracts, guys. Because NFL players, unlike anybody else in the American sports landscape, have been willing to take contracts that look good as a headline in the oh, newspaper. Yeah, yeah. It's incentive laden. It's yes. $100 million, it's, but they're guaranteed fifteen. Yes. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, hold on. And they push them back. And in, in, in a lot of cases, it's been bananas to me. In a lot of cases, the contracts have been hung up because the agent and or the player wanted to be able to legally say that they were the highest paid at their yep. position. Yep. When in all actuality, the guarantee was a, a small fraction of of what was going on. Now, there's a couple things at play. One, you and I could go into an NFL front office tomorrow and run that salary cap. It's pretty straightforward. You have you know, active money and dead money. You defer and push money into future years. We're pretty smart guys. We could do that. Give us give, give us a day or two to bone yeah. up on the rules. We got it. I am proposing today that a small college, let's say Shaw right. should start a degree plan tomorrow. They could have it stood up by this coming fall, and it would be chock-packed full of potential candidates to graduate in this degree. There should be a degree plan offered for NBA salary cap management. Oh, God, yeah. I, I mean that. It's a lot of trickeration in that during the uh, department. If I was a small school – and I was looking for it. I would offer a degree in sports management with, with an emphasis on yeah. NBA contractual something. Yeah. I'd come up with a cool name for it. We could do that. 
dude, I am a very smart guy, I think. Right. And I'm a math guy. I'm a numbers guy. I love playing with numbers. The NBA salary cap? Come on, man. It is a it's a whole different language. And there's so many different categories that people plug into and what you can do and what you can what you can't. And there are so many things that happen in the NBA that are reactionary. Yep. With regard to the cap, because I honestly think that a lot of them don't really understand what's going on cap-wise. Um, I think that's a great idea. We should, like, make this happen. Oh, Fayetteville yeah. State would be a great place for it. Yep. And I'd, I would go and take that course or that, that degree plan. No, I wouldn't. I don't have time. It's like uh, uh, golf management or uh, Methodist College has developed one of the best – Golf management degrees, really in America. Okay, they were. I think they may have been the first. Really, because they you have to go through all these, th- and you really have to know how to run an entire golf course, and it's courses designed around it. You got to do internships. It's really cool, and they've got their own course on campus. So they have been proactive in that, and I think with the evolution of the game and the proliferation of all these legal components to contracts and salary caps. I think you may be on something. Well, I just I, the reason I thought of it as as most well, not most. Some of you guys know, I am a law student currently at NC Central. There is next week, I believe, a workshop, and it is on sports, um, sabermetrics. Okay, and and how analytics all come together. I would love to go to this. But I am afraid to go to this. Why is that? Because I'll be like, law school? Get on over. I'm going over there and going to right. somebody's front office. And and I don't even know if you were here. I have been – there is a statistic in baseball right now, OPS, on-base percentage plus slugging percentage. You invented the crossover dribble. Exactly. I literally – Robert, I'm not making this up. I invented OPS when I was about – 13 years old. Uh-huh. I invented that. I have been playing with analytics as it applies to baseball forever. Basketball forever. There are things, there are formulas that I still use when grading drafts and rest of that stuff. I, I There is nothing in the world I enjoy more. When I was a kid, though, that wasn't a thing. If I had come along 15 years later, I'd be in somebody's front office right, right now running their analytics department because I love that. I'm telling you right now, though, one of these colleges, think about it. There is no other program. And where are these guys that are in these front offices? Not as GMs because those guys in a lot of in a lot of cases are just figureheads or former players or whatever. Right. But the guys that are the assistants and that are running those, how many of those cats came up with that intent? How many of them have an, a formal education None. background? Dude. It's general business or some aspect of business, but they have an interest in sports. And they probably, like you, probably love tweaking numbers and coming up with formulas and that kind of thing. So that's, that's probably the evolution of it. But you want to take it another step and make it an actual curriculum. Yeah. I think it's a great idea. My master's degree is in sports management. You could take that master's program and take the three and four level instead of the five and six levels that I took, teach that stuff, and throw in a little bit of accounting, and then have three or four specific courses about salary cap and things of that nature. Boom. You have yourself a, a, a general management 
you know, MBA general management bachelor's degree program, I think there would be a lot of demand for it, and I think those cats get picked off left and right in the oh, yeah. in the uh, in the NBA. And you can also tweak that a little bit, and those guys would be good workforce sports agency. Boom. And not just front office, but you need a guy who can analyze and evaluate a, a number of things for her for their clients. Well, of course you do. Where's a good landing spot? Well, let's take a look at exactly. the situation in all these places. Because at, at present, you know, and the Lakers are a prime example, as, as we've seen it reported all year. People are like, well, the Lakers have this much space, and they have this much space, and they have this much space. No, they had a lot more space than people accounted for right. because they hadn't yet – Giving up the rights to Brooke Lopez, Julius Randle, the rest of that stuff. So, you, good, good point. There's a lot of uh, look. The college that does it, just credit it us. That's you can right. call it the Bricky DeLambert School of MBA financial. Not, not even necessarily NBA. Yeah, it could apply to a lot of sports. It could, and but you know what? I could teach you the NFL salary cap in oh, ten yeah, minutes. Yeah. So, MLB. Well, most people don't. Even, that's funny though, because if if you went and polled the average sports fan, ninety five percent of them would tell you the that Major League Baseball doesn't have a salary cap, which is not true. Right. Um, so it's kind of interesting how things play out, guys. It's been fun, and I'm talking to you listeners because it's only me and Brick, the dynamic duo, the dynamic duo. It's been a lot of fun. Um, just to plug. Working on trying to get onto a couple of stations. I'm going to put y'all on blast. Star 102.5, WNC, or WNCU, rather. My bad. Hook us up. We'll see you guys next week. We love you. We'll have a full house. You're listening to From the Cheap Seats. Check us out on social media at Cheap Seat Radio. You're listening to Krista Lambert and Brandon Adkins on From the Cheap Seats, a production of Cheap Seats Radio. Cheap Seats Radio.